0: It's a Friday edition of Locked on Heat on today's show. In lieu of a recap of the Heat's game against the 76ers from last night, we'll be talking with Matt Moore of the Action Network about the Heat season so far.
1: We'll talk about Dwayne Wade's return, Miami's playoff outlook, and potential matchups and much more. Now let's get to the show.
0: You are Locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the
2: Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the step back and fan rag sports, and I write for the Miami Heat's tip-off magazine. You can find me on Twitter at W C Goldberg.
1: And I'm David Ramil, a credentialed NBA writer. It's covering the heat for SB Nation at HowYouCanHeat.com. We'll cover the league at large for fan side and fan rag sports, and you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRimmel13.
0: We're joined by the Action Networks Matt Moore. He's a must-follow and a must-read for all things NBA. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Matt, let's get right into it. There's a lot of interesting things about uh, the Heat that we can get into, but let's start with the emotional story here. What was your reaction when the Heat traded for Dwayne Wade at the deadline? Uh, bittersweet.
2: I-, I think it was um, it was great because it just everyone. It's impossible not to feel like he belongs there. Like everyone knows that that's where he should be Um, at the same time. You know, it was kind of a sign of like, and I'm sure he fans don't want to hear this, but like, you know, his days of contending are over. Like this this is it. Like he's narrowing, this is, he's winding down an incredible career and you know, that that's going to be it for him. And that's hard for me to kind of deal with because I've, I've so long been a, a, a real honest to God fan of Dwayne Wade. Um, and so this to me was like the end of, 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 really kind of the last chapter is, or at least the beginning of the last chapter for him. And that's something that, uh, I, I, I struggle with a little bit to kind of deal with. Um, but at the same time, I was really glad that he and Riley were able to kind of come to an agreement and figure this out. I was glad that they could settle this and that it you know the the situation wasn't going to drag on past his playing career. That they were able to solve it and get it was get it figured out, and uh, for it to work out the way that it really, honestly needs to. For all sides, it's right that he's back in Miami. It's good that he's back in Miami, um, and now it, the just question is like, what what's that final chapter going to look like?
1: I think there was always a, a prevailing sentiment that he'd return here. Although I don't think anybody could have predicted it would have happened as quickly, nor as you know the way it did. Um, obviously, for Cleveland to to clear their roster was a necessary thing for the Cavaliers' perspective. But to be able to send Dwayne Wade here in a, in a very you know in, you know surprising goodwill move, um, I think that was the best way of making this the right story. But given how you you said, and I think a lot of people would agree with you, although maybe some Heat fans might not want to hear it um Miami isn't really in a place for contention how do you see Wade's role uh and I don't know how much you've been able to watch him play seeing as how you cover the rest of the league but he's had uh well a much larger role on offense than we would have expected right. he's been you know called upon in clutch situations so how much more of that can we expect from him as the the heat continue their yeah, play Yeah so
2: I think this is one of the things is like um with a guy like Wade the problem is that basically uh You can't tell him no on that team. Like if he's if he's got LeBron James there, they're contending for a title. If there's Kevin Love, it's one thing. Um, You know, if, if he went to another team that was contending, it'd be one thing. But on Miami, there isn't a player with the stature to kind of take up for him to realistically be able to say like, okay, yeah, you should probably have the ball. I should I should take a lesser role. You know, and so especially with it being Miami and it being like his home, his team, et cetera, that gets even more complicated. So I think that it's sounds like have an issue because I think Wade at this point can still be really effective as an off-ball weapon. I think as a, a cutter, a slasher, a smart guy that can that can uh, be a playmaker for others on second units, he could be super effective. But instead, yeah. you know, he's trying to be Wade and he's not that guy anymore. And I think that that's going to be probably something that's going to cause a little bit of consternation. Like don't be shocked if this devolves a little bit into a Kobe situation where the end of his career kind of hijacks the franchise for a while. That could get a little awkward, I think for fans and they're just going to have to kind of push through it because look, the reality is from what I understand, it's not just about Wade. the end of Wade's career. This is, you know, we're, we're zeroing in on the end of the Pat Riley era in Miami. And whenever that day comes, yeah. they they could wind up walking out together. And if that's the case, then, you know, the end could get a little ugly for a while while they sort out the final kind of words of that chapter.
1: So do you, do you expect Wade to re-sign with the team next year? I mean, because he could just I mean, I don't expect he's not the kind of player to pull a Tim Duncan and kind of just retire unexpectedly with little thoroughfare. He's also said that he doesn't want the the narcissistic Kobe-type uh, farewell tour, but it'll probably be somewhere in between is what you're expecting, that he'll sign next year and then kind of t- dominate the headlines as the season kind of meanders into nothing?
2: Yeah, I think he'll probably sign uh, some sort of mid-level deal, yeah. maybe a little bit more to kind of <laughs> uh, make up a little bit of what he feels Riley should have paid him the first time, <laughs> uh, but on a one-and-one. And they'll give him the option if he wants to walk away next year, he can do that. If he plays well, if he's feeling good, if the team is going in a good direction uh, and they want him to return, then he can opt in. That's kind of what I'm expecting as a one-on-one deal. Mm -hmm.
0: You you touched on um, a subject that I've brought up in the past there. uh, That, yeah, Dwayne Wade returning to Miami is a great feel-good story. You know, Heat fans obviously are going to be happy with it. And and given the circumstance and what they had to give up to get Dwayne Wade, which is essentially nothing, a second-round pick that will never convey um, you have to do that if you're the Heat organization and given that the season was sort of a disappointment going into that trade deadline anyway bringing Dwayne Wade if nothing else saves face and gives people something else to talk about but it also does it It doesn't it it, it, kind, of, it kind of there's a conflict there with what the Heat typically want to be doing right if you look at what this what, what they're doing by bringing in by, by re-signing that team from last year that went 30-11 and 11 down this stretch, by drafting somebody like Bam Adebayo and putting a lot of responsibility on guys like Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson as well and trying to develop those young guys, and ultimately try to compete again for a championship, whether it be uh, a, an Eastern Conference Championship or an NBA Championship, if they have to package some of these guys that um, are developing and playing well to, to make a move to get a star. The whole Dwayne Wade thing is a direct conflict in that entire strategy, and Luckily, I think so far, we've still been able to see Justice Winslow's development and development from Josh Richardson and Bam Adebayo, though to a lesser extent as his minutes start to wane in the final playoff push. Uh, And hopefully, this doesn't turn into, like what you said, Matt, a Kobe Bryant situation where that basically ruined D'Angelo Russell's ceiling in in L.A. and kind of just threw the whole organization for a loop, and they couldn't really move forward until Kobe left. And I'm hoping that at least the Heat and Pat Riley learned from that situation, or are just kind of aware and smart enough to understand that, okay, great, Wade could be here, he could be our guy in the last couple minutes, he could do some things um, and help these young guys really develop, we really want to lean on that part of his expertise and his experience. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of that or if you think that Dwayne Wade could sort of play that role, especially in contrast to somebody like Kobe, who for, for some reason we... I mean, I guess the reason being is that they're two of the greatest shooting guards to ever play the game, but we like to compare those two a lot. Yeah,
2: I think uh, one thing I would say is like, um, so, uh, I, okay. <laughs> you're, you're in a friendly place, Matt. Say well, whatever you want to say. say. That, like, having talked to people close to the team, I would not say contending for a championship is what they think is happening. Um, I don't think that they actually believe... And I think, honestly, there's a little bit of consternation about some of their contract situations. Um, like, they are, at this point, cap-strapped with a mediocre team. Like, that's kind of the reality, is that they've gone all-in on a team that, predictably, is full of really good players that kind of, kind of exceed what their probable rational ceiling is a lot of the time, and... Um, I, I think that uh, it, it's gonna be. I will say this: it's gonna be problematic um, with Wade in that, like, kind of this current situation where it's like, well, you know, we can't. Like Wade's not gonna default um, because of kind of the talent around him isn't good enough to justify that. But at the same time, um, that's kind of an issue on its own, where it's like, you know, like there's nobody on that team that's so good that you know, he, he shouldn't be defaulting. And I think that's problematic in and of itself. I think the Heat are in kind of a drift right now. Um, they're not a drift in a way that where it's like they're mediocre or bad. They're like, there's a lot of, of good things with this team. And like, Bam is really good. Um, I, I think that, J, that Josh Richardson has been fantastic this season. I think he's been absolutely incredible. But I'm not necessarily sure where they're going. And so, as a result, uh, that's what could wind up making the, the way thing a little bit weird. Um, and that's something that will be interesting to watch. Now, there are options, right? Like, there are moves that they can make. They can swing trades if the right opportunity comes, or they convince a guy to come. Um, all of these kind of things can, that can happen. They have opportunities to improve, but I do think that um, they're stuck because is way absolutely a better option to kind of be, like, one of the focal points of this team? rather than their hodgepodge of of kind of good guys that aren't great no are the those guys good enough to really justify Wade taking that much of a lesser role no and so you're kind of stuck in the middle trying to navigate between those two realms and i think that that is i don't even know it's going to create a lot of tension i just think it's going to create a lot of like confusion and discord
1: is uh, one of the opportunities for for growth internal? Is there any anybody on the roster currently, the young players, maybe you know Justice uh, Justice Winslow or Josh Richardson, who you expect as capable of being able to take a leap into stardom and maybe kind of dominate or, or be the kind of player that Miami lacks at this point in time?
2: No, no, uh, I don't see it. Now that doesn't mean it can't happen, sure, um, because like my inability to see. Uh, Josh Richardson becoming a a superstar caliber player isn't indicative of my not watching him or not appreciating him, uh, nor is it indicative of of, of an absolute. It's just like, at this point, no, I can't see it. That can change, and if it does, then that's certainly a a big help to them. You know, the Raptors thought that they were getting a really good starting point guard in Kyle Lowry, and they got a multi-time All-Star. And so these things do happen. Guys make leaps. That's just one of the things that happens. But I think with the way that Tyler has really kind of hit bumped up against a pretty rough ceiling, mm-hmm. um, the way that Whiteside has very predictably become more of a headache for the coaching staff to try and get in minutes than he is a real core foundational player, with Gorin getting starting to get up there in age and his contract coming up pretty soon. Um, there's a lot of things here in play that I just can't see. I just can't really witness it now. I love Justice Winslow. Loved him as a prospect. Loved him as a rookie. Thought he was going to be really good. But the problem is, is like like a lot of guys, it's not that, you know, him. his season this year, like he's he a lot of progress this year. Yeah. It's just like, there's a huge gap between a lot of progress and like Donovan Mitchell, right? Like there's a huge gap between, hey, he's way better than he was last year and Donovan Mitchell. And in order for me to feel like they have that, you have to be, have a guy that looks like Donovan Mitchell
0: and they do not. You're preaching to the yeah. choir here on Donovan Mitchell. David and I were banging the table for the Heat to draft him going into the draft. Unfortunately, he went one pick uh, early. So so close, so close. Um, just
1: right, right there. I want to
0: I want to kind of <laughs> rein it back a little bit and talk about Miami's chances in the playoffs. Whether or not that I, no nobody on the show right now thinks that they're going to be winning a championship anytime soon, but they're going to be. It looks like at least um, in the postseason. We want to talk about that next. But first, a quick reminder: subscribe to Locked On NBA. It's the only daily NBA podcast that's less than 30 minutes long and delivers the most important news, scores, and storylines of the day. Perfect to listen to on your morning commute or while you're at the gym, whatever you want to do. Available to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. So, Matt, let's talk about the playoffs here because the Eastern Conference seating is still in flux a little bit. It's not as exciting as the Western Conference, but um, there's still a lot happening, 3 through Uh, 8. And Miami could sort of fall anywhere... Uh, probably between six and eight at this point, uh, maybe five if if things break well for them. Who would who do you think among those top three teams like Toronto, Cleveland, and and Boston would be the best first round matchup for Miami? I think they'll have a puncher's chance in all three series.
2: I really do. I think like I, that's what's crazy is I'm super low on Miami's ceiling and their roster and their long term prospects. But if you told me that they knocked off any of those three teams in the first round, I would not be shocked at all. Uh, They have depth. They have quality guys at every position. They have flexibility. They have incredible coaching. So the formula is 100% there for them to be able to make a run. Toronto is kind of the easy one because Toronto's got a young bench that's been the best in the league this season. But Miami can hit you with waves. also. They have a number of ways to be able to find matchup advantages to counter what uh, Toronto brings to the table. They have long athletic defenders. They have physicality. They can get out and run. There's all of these different ways. Like Their versatility matches up with, with Toronto very well. And if you go in and you win game one and th- the Raptors drop another game one to start the playoffs it's just going to bring up all those ghosts again. It's going to rattle them again. And that gives you an opportunity to, to win one because, mm. you know, Milwaukee honestly kind of won that series last year and let them off the hook. And if, you know, mm. able to get, get a more experienced guys to where they don't let them off the hook, they can absolutely take that. Um, I think Boston, you know, there are, I think that one would be tougher, but I honestly, that's a series in which white side could just eat and, eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and bam, same thing. Like they should tear them up on the boards they have the length to trap and and, and frustrate Kyrie. Um, Al Horford struggles with big athletic centers that can just physically jump over him. It's why he struggles with Tristan Thompson. So there's a, there's a model there. And then Cleveland, in reality, just their defense is garbage. Their defense is just horrible. And that's going to open the door where if Miami makes shots, they're going to be in a position to, to topple LeBron, even with how good... You know, LeBron is. So I think that they have a a real shot at knocking off any of those three teams, regardless of where they go. It's going to take them playing their absolute best. It's going to take them catching some breaks. It's going to take the biggest thing is going to take making some shots. But if they can do that, then I think they have a real chance of of getting into the second round.
1: Now, it's interesting you bring up Hassan Whiteside as being a a possible uh, important factor against the Celtics because Wes and I have developed kind of a reputation of being somewhat negative on them. Uh, I, I know that you've, you praised Whiteside, but I I understand you as, you know, you're probably somebody who has a very uh, even-keeled opinion about Whiteside. And you say that, you know, if he's able to eat against the Celtics, you know, and put up those kind of big numbers, that he he might be able to sway Miami into a victory. But we've seen that it's kind of the inverse when it comes to uh, Hassan, that if he puts up those big numbers and tends to dominate, he winds up being less effective overall for us. I mean, our opinion is mostly that he should put up as, as little as possible and just be a high-effort guy, something that he's not always been. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, we see, like, tonight against Philadelphia, he was really, really productive, and he also had that kind of high motor that we rarely see from him, and he was able to make an impact. He really limited Joel Embiid, which is impressive. And so how do you feel about Whiteside? What's the, your, your perspective on Whiteside, and, and is there any way for him to continue growing? So
2: I was, I was brutally low on him. Um, sure the first two seasons there like i i when it, when it was like white side mania i was like well let's let's maybe wait and then they gave him the massive contract and i was like okay well that's certainly a direction um but it was just inescapable like you, anybody looks at the numbers knows like they're better without him um however here's what's odd so he's taken less fewer minutes this season and he's not playing in the fourth quarter and like i know from talking to people close to the team like it's absolutely infuriating like uh, like he he's just drives the coaching staff crazy because you know they need to be able to play him and they just can't like they just can't play him in in long stretches or for serious situations and bam's really the future there however i really think from him i think he's been more I think he's been more fun than the i think he's been um, way better defensively like he's really grown into being an actual stable defender which is all he really needed to be was just like don't be JaVale McGee, like just be a little closer you know, <laughs> to Al Horford than JaVale McGee, and he's come a little bit towards that, and I think it's paid off. One thing to keep in mind in the playoffs is, in the regular season, I think it's way harder to, to be a guy that just punishes mismatches, but in the playoffs, that's a really good thing. If you're just absolutely punishing and beating the hell out of Al Horford, and all of a sudden it's like, you're losing. Like, this, If the Celtics are losing when Al Horford's on the floor, they're in trouble. Like, they're in huge, massive trouble. And it takes a player like Whiteside in order to generate that. You're never going to out-savvy Al Horford. You're not going to out-smart play Al Horford. The only way to beat Horford is to, to basically dunk over him. And if you can do that, then all of a sudden you're lo- they're losing those starter minutes and they're in real trouble because that bench is not great. Um, so there's all these kind of opportunities, for, for, I think, for him to play. I don't think he's going to get much better. I think they'll, 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 you know if they could have traded him, they would have. The word's out on him. Um, the deal in and of itself was not good, and it's another one of a bunch of deals that they have, which was not good. Um, but I also think it's not insalvageable, and it, it can wind up being like, well, there are still good things that he can give you um, from time to time. So I think he's more valuable in the playoff series. I think also, also additionally, like, I think Bam will probably struggle a little bit more just because rookies tend to do that. Uh, and it gives you, know, you know, Whiteside, having been there, I also think Wade coming back is huge for him, like because Wade was so frustrated with him for for four months of the season. But Wade, in what is really kind of a, a, a good sign of, of what he brings to the table, like he just stuck with him and kept yelling, you know, kept working with him and kept simultaneously yelling at him, but also like talking him up.
0: And I think that that Wade will be really good for his confidence. Yeah, you know, the Wade the Wade White side chemistry is a real thing, and that's something that just simply did not exist with anybody else on the roster. Uh, for whatever reason, probably because they like to, Wade likes to slow down the game a little bit, and that's Whiteside's natural pace, but you mentioned Bam there a little bit, and you and you talked about how he's probably the future of the team. What have you seen from Bam Adebayo that you like? Because I think people get glimpses of him, and he looks good in flashes, and he certainly does some of those things that Whiteside doesn't do uh, as far as those in-between hustle plays and things like that. Um, and he's a different type of prospect. Uh, he's a guy who could get out on the perimeter uh, and defend a little bit. He can Theoretically, shoot from a, a more more efficiently from distance than Hassan side. What have you seen from Bam that you like? And then and then going forward, can he can he sort of anchor a team at the five spot? I think so. I like I, I really like his versatility. I think he, I think he can definitely do so in the modern NBA. Um, I like his
2: fluidity. I like how he how he moves. You know, he like he's fifty second percentile in, in guarding the pick and roll this season at the big defender. And for a young guy, that's really difficult. Um, you know, he's he he contests hard, that matters. He's able to contain the ball, that matters. Um, I think that there's all these ways in which he's only going to get better. And, uh, with what I think he's brought to the table, I think there's every reason to be really high on his future. And, and especially with him being cost controlled, that's part of it, right? It's like, is like he's he's worth investing in in part because of, um, you know, the fact that it's going to be a lot easier and cheaper to, to invest in him than it is the with Whiteside. Um, you know his numbers are 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 good all over the board when you look at him uh, in the aggregate. I think he's a smart cutter. He's he's a lot smarter player than I have kind of expected to. He's got better basketball IQ coming in than I. Even though there were signs of it on his prospect sheet, he's even exceeded kind of exceeded kind of a, a good set there. The fact that he's not like ball-dominant or high-maintenance, I think is really good. He's just a guy that can fit in and and fill out those roles, and that's what you need from your bigs, I think, in the modern NBA. Yeah,
1: I think uh, he's another case of not being able to develop as fully as possible or not being able to highlight in one year at Kentucky uh, what he can do in totality, and I think that's uh, true of a lot of collegiate players nowadays. But I'm kind of curious about one player in Miami's roster who's an impending free agent, uh, and uh, it's a guy that Miami relies a bit on a bit too much in my taste um that's Wayne Ellington uh, you know i think one of the questions for 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 Ellington and heat fans in general is you know, he's obviously very effective at, at, at being able to dig Miami out of these large deficits that they seem to get into. Uh, his three-point shooting is excellent. But I also wonder, as a free agent, how you view his ability to impact other teams. Like, would he be as effective on another team as he is in Miami? I think it's just a case of the Heat and Spolstra, in particular, being able to utilize him to his best and maximizing what talent he does have. So I'm curious where you stand on the Ellington debate because, you know, he's just a guy that – it seems like he's he's relied on to bail Miami out way too often and, and that's a problem for Miami because their offense you know it looks it looks downright terrible on occasion until Ellington starts, you know, hitting three or four in the last five minutes of the game and that's what it takes for Miami to win.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that it's a two-way street, right? Like you know, Spell and the system are able to make Ellington uh look great, but Ellington also fits into what they need. Sure. Like he's not ball dominant. Like his big thing is their system does so much with The dribble handoff and you know i mean Ellington's shooting 54 percent on handoffs this year it's absurd like he's (laughs) he's at a 1.07 points per possession mark on handoffs that's crazy it's 75th percentile in the league um and that's down from where he started the season uh Mm -hmm. i think having a guy like him is super valuable uh honestly if let me go this way if you took like four of their kind of versatile do it all, like Matt, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none dudes, and converted them into one superstar, and then you had like if you took Whiteside and Bam and combined them, like you would, and you had Ellington, like you had something really great then. You have a big that big and a guard that can create great shots off the of dribble handoffs, and then a like, superstar that can create when you need it to. Like that to me is like a formula for success. Um, I think it's, you're right that it's problematic that that's kind of who they need to go to, but. I also think that there's like, there's actual premise there in, or promise there in that, you know, it's very, like it's modern. It's not archaic, right? Like it's a bunch of different dudes all contributing in different ways. And that to me uh, is, is maybe a little more sustainable in the modern NBA than what we've seen from some other approaches and players. Like I'd rather be dependent on, um, I'd rather be dependent on him than I would be on, you know, like, yeah, you know, a ball dominant player that's not as good.
0: We, we you you yeah. mentioned the uh, his clips shooting off of dribble handoffs. David and I were joking before the All Star break because he was in the three point contest that they should have instead of the ball rack out there. Kelly Olinick just giving him giving him passes and handoffs and him just coming around and doing it that way. He might have won that way. I don't know. Um, it's just my you know he was my pick for the for the three point contest because uh, because of his ultimate hit on handoffs.
2: I was absolutely convinced he was going to win. And I think if he if he just got into the second round, I really do think he wins. Like he's been so good this year. Like he's he's been one of the, the really good good parts of the Miami. Honestly,
0: should be like the dunk contest where you're allowed to dunk over Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart should be able to give you a handoff on the at the three point contest. I, right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, quick reminder that you're listening to the Locked On Heat, the only daily Miami Heat podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on Spotify and on your home assistant like Amazon Echo or Google Home. Where you can find all of the Locked On podcasts, the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. So the Action Network uh, Matt offers content and tools uh, to those who are interested in sports betting, sports wagering, uh, wagering. So sticking with the theme, with that right, I want to play a game. Um, so let's say you've got let's say you've got ten chips, like in blackjack, for instance, yep. and you're placing them on each of the playoff teams in the East based on your confidence in their futures, almost like you're picking stocks. So it's like blackjack in the stock market, best game ever. Yep. Um, <laughs> zero chips being no confidence, 10 <laughs> meaning that they could compete for a conference title on their current, whatever their current path seems to be. Uh, who's getting the most chips, first of all, question number one, and then how many of those chips would you be willing to put on the heat? So you've got 10 chips. For each, te- for each team. You've got 10 chips for each team. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I would put 10 on
2: the the Raptors. I would put 7 on the Celtics. Mm -hmm. I would put 8 on the Cavaliers. I would put 7 on the Wizards. I would put 4 on the Pacers. I would put 6 on the Sixers. And I would put... Ugh on the Heat. <laughs> That's tough. And I would put three on the Bucs. Oh. So not confident in the Bucks. Yeah, Milwaukee, you know, the problem with Milwaukee is just like, they're they're in this, this weird area where it's like, I can't feel that they're going to be better in the playoffs than they are in the regular season because they don't have a bunch of pre- proven playoff guys. I can't feel like they're going to um, exceed expectations. Like, Giannis is amazing. Um, but like, I like I do like Miami's hey a bunch of good guys none of whom are really bad like no real limitations or huge problems in the lineups um, just kind of like a bunch of jack of all trades master of nuns rather than Milwaukee's like hit or miss one night could be awesome one night could be mediocre that could change depending on the matchup but that's like how I feel um, so yeah I think like Miami's definitely like on the on the very edge of, of I can't believe in them but I also can't count them out.
1: What is it that you like so much about Toronto's lineup and, and their, their their young core, I guess? Because, I mean, I guess for a lot of Heat fans, that might be a little unfamiliar. And I guess this is true of every fan base, but there's a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, despair about other teams and, and, or, you know, just not, you know, see them through a, a clearer lens there. So, what is it that you like about Toronto? What uh, I mean, if they're a potential matchup for Miami and, and something that their fans could look out for in the future?
2: Uh, I think. Jakob Purtle is really good. Fred VanVleet is really good. And how they've used those guys and integrated them with the starters, like VanVleet and DeRozan run pick and rolls with Fred VanVleet as the screener. And it's like a really fascinating like dynamic that creates high-quality looks for, for somebody every time. Um, you know, I think Lowry's still Lowry. DeRozan has obviously been better. Valanciunas is finally like adapted. Like he's just draining threes at over forty percent. Um, you know, their their young guys have athleticism, like Pascal. You know, Siakam. Um, they've got guys like Norman Powell, who like still like sometimes he's, he doesn't even get on the floor, and then sometimes he's like this huge impact guy. Uh, they're deep. They're versatile. There's a lot of things that are similar about Miami. It's like if you had Miami only, if Dragic was better and and Richardson was better. Like they're they're, they're kind of comparable in a lot of aspects, and and so like I would I would kind of say that the Heat are and this is weird because they're in their, their franchise history, but right now the Heat
0: are kind of like a C plus B minus Toronto Raptors. I'm glad you said you made that comparison because I've been thinking about this for like the last few days now. Is like Miami's best case scenario if like let's say Josh Richardson blooms into a Demar Derozan type, right? and then i don't know they get some more contributions from other guys they kind of have that 10 11 man ensemble roster that can kind of get things done um, toronto would like toronto this season would be like their best case scenario and their worst case scenario having had bet on a lot of free agents this past summer betting on a lot of internal development their worst case scenario would be basically what happened to the charlotte hornets and i feel like they could be they could be anywhere in between those two sides of the spectrum there i don't know if if you're as it doesn't sound like you're very bullish on on the there uh, there are prospects going forward as far as this summer and and past that and beyond. But what do you think that the Heat need to be doing? You know, looking past these playoffs and and going into this summer, what what's what would be what would be what you're looking at if you had to go to the chalkboard and sort of decide what the Heat need to do moving forward? Um, do you guys watch? Uh, did you guys watch Arrested Development? Yes. Yes.
2: Oh my God! <laughs> They're having a fire. So that's what needs to happen. I would clear. I would just. I would clear everything. Is that I easy? Really... Like,
0: I just. I can't figure out how they, they would have to attach like a Richardson or Winslow or a Bam type prospect on on some of these waiters and James Johnson type contracts. Yeah, um, like waiters. I wouldn't even try. And, I,
2: I wouldn't do deals that you have to add in sweeteners. I would try and maximize like. Teams that are looking for quality, like rotation guys to add, um, and in doing so, I would be willing to take on money for next year if it came off the books. Um, like uh, it, their salary situation is just so concerning from a uh, how do you improve standpoint. Like they're good, and that's the thing is like it's not that the, the they're not paying through the nose for a bad team they're paying through the nose for an okay pretty good team and uh and that's hard to just be like you know you should you should get rid of all that but like i think i think the james johnson's deal is movable uh i think that waiters i would wait another year and see where he's because like waiters to come back and have like another have like an awesome season and then all of a sudden his value goes back up and you can move him um Olenek, i would definitely be looking to move uh, at 11 million that's a movable deal Tyler is the only one that like I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do with it. Like, I just don't know. It, it's so important to clear $19 billion off of the cap. But at the same time, I don't know that I would want to give up a draft pick just to clear the 19. Um, he's kind of their Evan Turner in a lot of ways. Um, I would keep Richardson. And then, honestly, I would be trying to catch in on Dragic. Veteran point guard, high quality, like really good player that's the kind of guy that i would be looking to, to to clear space with i would be looking at Dragic, and then if anybody goes with white side i would be i would i would obviously open the conversation but Dragic is the one guy i would 100 move
1: yeah it's going to be a, an interesting summer for miami obviously because there's a lot of options there and no clear path right away you expect a guy like pat riley to make a big move but his options are certainly limited even as they seem pretty wide open on time but I think we're going to have to wrap up the show pretty soon. But, Matt, before we move on, do you have anything to plug, anything our listeners should be looking out for for you, either from writing or from a podcasting perspective?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, you can follow my podcast, Spread the Floor. Um, I've got great interviews this week. I talked to Candace Buckner of the Washington Post about the Wizards. I talked to Howard Beck, and we had like an in-depth conversation about dynasties and the interplay and dynamics of, of superstars on franchises and their culture, which kind of applies to the Heat a little bit. Um, Absolutely. I've got an article on the Thunder. I'm actually doing a deep dive on the Heat. I don't know if it's going to be done for tomorrow, but I'm doing a little bit of a deep dive on Miami. um, And that should be up and talk about a lot of what we talked about here today, but also about um, kind of the promise of the future and, and
0: how do you, what are the building blocks that they need to use to go forward with that's awesome and, and everybody listening you can follow matt on twitter if you're not already uh hp basketball on twitter follow the action network as well there's a twitter account for that uh and everything that he's doing matt continues to do quality work no matter where he's at um and that's all we have for today we will be back next week you can send mailbag questions and ask about advertising on the show by sending an email to locked onheat at gmail.com Sweet your questions or comments for our recaps using the hashtag AskLOHeat and support the show by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash locked on Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time.